0: As Pastor Drew said, we are continuing in John chapter 4. And uh, the plan is to finish it this morning. We'll see what happens. So, you remember last week with the woman at the well? The woman runs back to Sychar, the city, and the disciples return with lunch, urging him to eat. Jesus' response in John four thirty four. I have bread to eat that you know nothing about. And disciples are like, "Whoa! Well, did somebody bring him something? And he says, my bread is to do the will of him who sent me. My bread is to do the will of him who sent me. That grabs me every time I come across it. It reminds me of the line in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And so I think that we should tie these things together in our own prayer lives. When How many pray through the Lord's Prayer on a regular basis? I think it's a great idea if you don't do it. And when you come across this line, give us this day our daily bread. Let your heart rise up and respond and say, oh God, would you reveal in front of me that portion of your will that you want me to walk in today because I would be sustained in the knowledge of what you want me to do. I need that. When Pastor Drew got to verse 35, he made a connection I'd not seen before. It may well be that when Jesus said, look up, you know, this is the part where it says, you say two or three months and then the harvest, I tell you, look up. The field is already white for harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It may well be that when Jesus said, look up, that they would have seen a crowd from the town coming down to them. I'd always thought, you say two or three months until the harvest means that the conditions for evangelism never seem right. If you look at the field, if you look at your your community, our community, it never looks like, yeah, they're begging for the gospel. It, it kind of always looks like, no, they're hard, and they're hostile. <laughs> and maybe I'll just wait until things get better before I kind of stick my neck on the line, right? Yeah, Is that the Spirit urging you to wait before you open your mouth? No. No, it's the flesh going, I I, I don't think that anybody wants what I've got to offer right now, so I'm just going to hold back and wait for better times. I would suggest to you that the better times are probably not coming. In terms of how it looks, you say two or three months until the harvest. I tell you, quit looking here and look there. Look up. And with your eyes on heaven, set your heart on obedience to the commission. Quit looking at the conditions and fix your eyes on heaven. If everything looked right, we would not be going out in faith. These things are written in order that we may believe. Faith is required in order to do what we're called to do right now. So there's this theme in the book that's developed a lot here in chapter 4. Can we turn that down just a little bit? It's pretty, pretty hot and hummy. Back in verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. He's calling her to faith. In verse 41, um, many more believed because of his word. Whose word? Jesus' word. In verse 42, they said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. People coming to faith in Jesus because of the word of Jesus. Love it. Now, in verse 43, it says, After two days, Jesus departed for Galilee. Jesus is changing locations. Will people place their faith in him at the next spot? So let me just read from here to the end of the chapter. After two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he'd made the water wine, and at Capernaum, There was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Jesus, we ask that under the strength of this written word, that we would come to believe in you more that our trust in you would grow in such a manner that we would honor you. Jesus, you're worthy of being honored for who you are and not just because of what you do. So help us to grow into that. We pray for your sake. Amen. So let's back up Um. In verse uh, 46 and 47, it says, He came again to Cana in Galilee, where he'd made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So, why is this fellow coming to Jesus? Because Jesus has got a reputation in the area. I just wanna ask, I'm reflecting on verse 44, where it says, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Is approaching somebody according to their reputation, does that do them honor? And I'm gonna suggest that probably it doesn't because the reputation is, this Jesus guy can do things, things that we need done. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. But can you believe that information without really knowing anything about who he is himself? Because I'm suggesting this morning that honor has to do with knowing who somebody is and holding them in high esteem because you know who they are, not just what they can do. So Jesus goes to Cana where where is that exactly? I was there recently It's six miles north of Nazareth. So Jesus says verse 44, a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. he doesn't go to his hometown. You know, Nazareth is a weird little spot. It's on a hillside. And if you were at the top of the ridge, the Nazareth Ridge, you could look down and see the whole Jezreel Valley. You could look across and see Mount Carmel. There's all kinds of biblical history that you could see from the top of the Nazareth Ridge. But from the city itself, it's in a little depression on the hillside that you can't see out of. I mean, it kind of makes sense that Joseph would go there when he thinks that the people are still trying to kill Jesus because it's so out of the way, really, really, really hard to hike up there. So pretty much, you've got roughly 300 people living in the hamlet of Nazareth and they're completely isolated. Nobody sees in and they don't see out. So... When I say that Cana is six miles north of there, it's not that close. You have to go up to the top of the Nazareth Ridge and then down into the valley and then partway up the next mountain, and there's Cana. Not just a whole lot of traffic going back and forth. You would think six miles is in the same neighborhood. Not really. So a prophet has no honor in his own hometown, and Jesus doesn't go there. He goes to Cana, and maybe there's some honor for Jesus in Cana. Maybe some recognition of who he actually is. But right now, he's just being approached on the basis of what he can do. Cana was the location of the first miracle when Jesus turned water into wine. You could look back at John 2.11 to see that. I actually want to do that because... There's something that we learn here about Jesus building confidence in people. I'm going to substitute that word confidence sometimes for faith because I think in the church we get so used to words that should be really deep in our understanding like faith. We use it enough times and then we forget what it even means. And so I'm going to use the word confidence in place of faith a lot in this sermon because I I think that that's at least an aspect of what faith is. And I'm going to demonstrate that by looking back at John 2.11. He's just changed the water into wine. And it says this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. You know, he's gathered this group of 12 men saying, follow me, and they did. But how many of you have been following Jesus for some time now? Yeah. And how many of you have days from time to time where you go, is this really a good idea? Because i'm getting some opposition and 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 i'm this just isn't easy did i make a good decision in choosing to follow jesus and so you've got these people at cana 12 disciples that jesus has called and they've already said yeah we'll we'll sign on we're following you and he does this first miracle and they're like i guess it was the right choice We just saw something of the glory of the Son of God, and it's really affirming to this decision to follow him. It wasn't their first confidence, but it was a restoration of confidence for them. And I would suggest that if you have any experience with him at all, that you go through seasons that are harder than others. And then he brings an extra little encouragement to you like in seeing Sicily get healed. That's a, that's a prop-up for our faith, right? We need to have confidence restored, and he does that. Sometimes, on his schedule. He manifested his glory, and the disciples believed that they, they had confidence. Their following was a right following. So, now back to... The, Chapter 4, Jesus has a reputation. Is that all he's after? Is he just a miracle worker? Because I think it's possible to get too focused on what he can do and lose sight of who he is and what he wants from this confidence that he's seeking to build in us, in us, in him. So verse 47 This official says, I need a miracle, just like us. We we live in that need, don't we? I mean, I live in need of supernatural workings. And if Jesus hadn't come through for me, I wouldn't be standing where I'm standing right now i'm standing because he has been coming through for me but is that the reason why i follow him is that the reason why i have confidence that he's the messiah or is it just because of him himself let's continue verse 48 went too far Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. What's the heart of Jesus when he says this? Jesus wants people to put their confidence in him, himself. This man seems like a beggar. In pursuit of what Jesus has, and Jesus sounds discouraged to me by being approached in this way. You know, like uh, Matthew sixteen four, Jesus says, "A wicked and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but none will be given to it, except the sign of the prophet Jonah." Well, what's that? Three days and three nights. In the heart of the earth, and then coming forth again. He's talking about the cross, he's talking about the grave, he's talking about resurrection, he's talking about the heart of the gospel, which is the point of why he came. And and that's the central sign. Or Luke twenty three, eight, Herod is eager to see Jesus because he wants to see some kind of sign. Who's Herod? Bad guy. Is Jesus honored by a bad guy wanting to see somebody perform? And I think that throws into clear light part of what happens in sectors of the church. You just want to see a sign. Jesus, if you just do this, we believe. And he feels dishonored by that. And so we have to be careful in our faith that it's actually faith in Jesus, in the person, and not just in the power. What would Jesus have preferred? Turn over with me. I know we're not there, but we're just going to visit it. John chapter 20, verse 29. Jesus said to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's the heart of faith. That's what Jesus is after. He he wants us to believe even if he doesn't do anything more than what he has done. Now, I'm not attacking belief in supernatural occurrences in the church. I've got way too much experience with God to expect that he's not in the business of doing things here and now. It's just that he doesn't want to have to earn our respect by what he does. He wants to work for us from a place of our already having our confidence entirely in him. So, I want you to remember what just happened at Samaria. They believed him because they heard his words, and that's how we present ourselves. That's how Jesus presents himself to us, is by what he says, and that was enough for the people at Samaria. He did no sign there. They just heard him and were like, that's the Savior. Nobody else talks like that. Verse 49, the official said to him, sir, Come down before my child dies. Belief and need. This guy's not tracking with Jesus. Jesus is talking about this generation. He's like, I I don't know what you're talking about, but I've got a real pressing need right here, right now. I I just need you to do what you can do. I, I need that. So, what is Jesus' heart toward the need? I mean, this guy's saying in, in essence, I have a real need and I thought you'd care. Does he? I mean, there's there's something sort of honoring in that. I know you can't help. Are you willing? I uh, I get a lot of people that I don't know that try to call me. And this kid from Nigeria got through. And uh, he's like, sir, I'm I'm one of 17 children. We're very poor. We're very needy. Can can you give some money? And my initial instinct is I want to figure out some way to make our finances work so that we can give some money away. I'd, I'd really like to do that. And I'm thinking and praying about it. And the guy will not give up. I mean, very, very admirable persistence. Day and night. I mean, three o'clock in the morning, three messages, right? right, right, Bing, bing, bing. Dude, you're intense. And I got to thinking, why does this guy have so much time on his hands? Because he's constantly interrupting things I'm trying to do, like, like sleep. What's... What is he doing that frees him up to have enough time to constantly, constantly, constantly be nagging me? I'm like, you know what? I could probably scrape $80 together except for that's our grocery budget for the week. You know, it, it feels weird to say no when you got money in the bank, but we're very, very carefully budgeting that because it is not a limitless supply. Was I honored because... Some stranger from Nigeria got a hold of me somehow and asked me for money just with this confidence that I'm an American and surely I've got piles of it sitting around. He doesn't know anything about me. Nor does he care. All he wants is money. And I I didn't end up giving him any. Which... Let me tell you something about me. I hate saying no. That's one of the things my wife got on to me when I was running a construction company. Uh, uh, I scheduled every job that called B- because I hate telling people no. I, you know, I know how to do a thing they want me to do, and, and why would I not do that? Sometimes it was really bad, a lot of times, right? The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Why would he say come down? That's geography. This guy lives on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And we took a picture um, on the road that leads down to the Sea of Galilee. It says sea level. And then you go down 700 feet further, and that's where the shore of the Sea of Galilee is. 700 feet below sea level. So if if Jesus is in Cana, he's got to descend a lot of elevation to get to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And that's what the guy's asking him to do. Come down, walk down the hill. We mean something else when we say come down, because he's in heaven and we're on earth. And when we have a pressing need here, and we can't feel his presence here, we we say something that amounts to come down. So, does Jesus come down? No. He doesn't. And... But before we move along, I think sometimes we read our Bible too quickly. And you you jump right from this sentence to the next and fail to experience what's happening at the heart level here. Jesus doesn't act the way this guy thinks he should. This guy's got the power. I just want you to take a walk with me and... Do something spectacular to turn the situation around. And Jesus doesn't act right. I mean, according to the guy's expectation, he doesn't act right. And I I think that any of you who've walked for any time where you have a need and you ask expecting to receive, and it does not come down the way you think that it should. I mean, I'm prone to pray prayers like, would you just please shield me from all pain? That hasn't worked out. Because I don't think that I would know Jesus well if he would have responded to that sort of prayer. But how about this? Would you walk with me when it's time for a valley? And he does would you cause me to resemble you more when I'm in the low times? And he does. And it's better than if we would have been shielded from all pain. It's better than if he would have met our expectations because our expectations are too low. So now, verse 50, Jesus said to him, go your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So I wanna ask you, how should we seek to honor Jesus who has power but who doesn't want to be used? How do you honor him? Jesus doesn't come down. The man came with good expectations and Jesus doesn't meet them. Disappointment with God is real. You ask God for something and he doesn't do that. Your marriage ends. What do you do with that? How do you process this? Maybe the goodness of God is harder than you wish that it was. And maybe the point of it all is that you simply know Him. And you wouldn't if it went just the way that you asked for it to. Then Jesus speaks to the situation think genesis 1 god said let there be light and there was he spoke and it was and jesus it has exactly that same sort of authority and power in speaking jesus speaks to the situation he doesn't come down because the fellow might just have been affirmed in his tendency to say oh You're a power dispenser. Check. How handy. It's not honor. It's not worship. Jesus speaks to the situation, and the man believes. Can I divert your attention just for a minute? We we looked at verse chapter four, verse twenty-one earlier. And it's just, um, you know, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. There's another possible way to translate this verse. I've I've got the Greek open here, and I just want to kind of translate on the fly, because it, it says, Jesus said to her, Believe in me, woman. Most of the translations say, believe me, because that would be in reference to what he's about to say, but that's not really necessary. It, uh, It could say, believe in me, woman, because an hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And if you say, believe in me, it's not his words that he's pointing to, it's himself. Jesus is urging this woman to believe in him, and you know what? She does. He tells her to believe, and she does. And you know what? That happened to you. Or you wouldn't have believed. He spoke to your heart and said, believe in me and you have, and so you are. All right, I just love that. Jesus is gaining people's confidence. It's working in me, working in you. Awesome. The man believed, and that's why he went his way. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7, Asking you shall receive, seeking you shall find, knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. And I could tell you about how the Greek parses out right there, but what it means is ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking, because that's the only way that you'll make it to the point where you seek and find, where you knock in such a way that it's opened. In other words, you can't give up. And so if you apply that to this man, he didn't give up before he got what he was seeking because he determined that when Jesus said it, it was as good as his. That's a really good way to work. That's a really good way to honor Jesus is when he tells you something, to take it as if it was as good as done. After believing Jesus' promise, the details of the healing come out. Then it says that again, he believed. It already just said that he believed. Why would it say again that he believed? Because I don't think that all beliefs are created equal. I don't think you'd probably be sitting here if you had no faith. But he's calling you deeper. Deeper. He's calling to believe in you more. He's calling you to exercise more confidence than you have yet. And the man went away because he believed, and when he heard about the healing, he believed some more. Yet more confident in Christ. And I believe that you can always be that. I believe that you can always be more confident than you are now. Confident in who he is. and his family. That's something new. Not just a confidence, but a contagious confidence. How many of you have got family members who don't have confidence in Christ? I'm having lunch with a few of them later. They don't have confidence in Christ. What's their problem? That would be me. My confidence, apparently, is not contagious enough because I've still got lost family members. If you ask me, I don't like that. But what it means is, I need to grow more in my faith. And you'll know when my faith has grown because I'll stop having lost family members. Is that possible? I mean, I don't get to pick who gets saved, right? That's true. That's true. I'm not the Savior, and I'm not the Spirit. I'm none of those things. But I'm just looking here, this man believed and his family. And so I'd like to try that. Worship team, would you join us again? Again. All of Jesus' signs manifest his glory so that people will put their confidence in him. All of the other signs pale in comparison to his greatest sign, the sign of the prophet Jonah. What sort of confidence does Jesus wish us to have in him? Jesus' first sign at Cana gave his disciples the confidence that they were following the right leader. For the Samaritans, it was the confidence that he's the Savior of the world. The second time at Cana, an official moved from confidence that Jesus could heal his dying son to confidence that Jesus' words have creative power. This morning, Jesus des- desires that our confidence in him grow in a manner that truly honors him. Although we know his reputation for doing miracles, his desire is that we would trust him completely just because of who he is and what he says. In a minute, we're going to express our trust in Jesus by singing one last song together in honor of him. But first, Would you pray with me? Jesus, we trust in you. You don't have to perform in order for us to trust in you. We already believe that we're following the right leader and we already have confidence that you are the savior of the world and that your word has creative power jesus in this company of faith would you be pleased to bring further honor to your name by making our confidence contagious lord we long for many more to put their trust in you recognizing your worth grant us to be faithful in representing you and steadfast in trusting you and now lord as we respond to your worthiness in worship Would you do the hundreds of things that you know we need? Not to earn our trust, but because of our trust. Be exalted among us, Jesus.